This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. You're a child's plaything. You are a toy! Hello and welcome to Unequal Sequel. I am Dave. I'm one of the two hosts of this podcast. And I'm Rich. I'm the other host of this podcast. Think of me as Spock to Dave's Captain Kirk. I think very logically and Dave likes sitting in chairs and telling everyone what to do. The premise of Unequal Sequel is very simple. We ask our guests their best ever sequel, worst ever sequel and finally their dream sequel. And of course, we often drift off a bit and have some good chats about movies. That's very true. On today's episode, we are joined by film critic Reese Bowen Jones. For those of you who don't know, and you really should, Reese is a Rotten Tomato approved staff writer for Jump Cut Online and one of the hosts of the Jumpcast podcast. We're all excited to sit down with Reese and chat all things sequels with him. This is Reese Bowen Jones, Unequal Sequels. Enjoy. <laughs> Are you a fan of a good sequel? Yeah, I frequently, I really do like going back to see kind of the next instalment. Like, it's not the one I've picked for today's episode, but I think Back to the Future 2, for example, I've always felt is better than the first one, just because it's just, it's a more of an expansion of the idea. And it's nice kind of in, in, in that film in particular, you know, going back and then literally retreading the first film steps is a really fun kind of way to do it. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm a big fan of sequels. Like I've, I'm also weird with my kind of my Lord of the Rings theories. I think that Two Towers is one of, is the better of the two sequels. Yeah, I'm a big fan of film sequels, and obviously there are some many bad ones, but in a general terms, I think sequels are invariably a positive experience. I just have to say the two examples you've just picked bang on. Second back, <laughs> <Thanks. laughs> second back to the future is better than the other two, and so is Two Towers. <laughs> Do you remember your first sequel that you ever saw? Yes, it's actually the film that I kind of picked today <gasps> the first experience cinema experience i ever remember i think because i was i want to say about seven at the time maybe a bit older but i was seeing toy story 2 in my local showcase cinemas in nant garu in south wales and i've like never forgotten that place i think it's you know that experience was i i'm, I'm not sure if it was my actual first ever experience of the cinema but that's the one that i recall the most as being one of my earliest cinema memories, yeah. was going to see Toy Story 2. So, yeah. At that point, have you seen Toy Story 1? I had. Yeah, I loved Toy Story 1. I had it on VHS um, growing up. And, like, Toy Story 1 is an absolute classic for all sorts of very deserved reasons. Like, it is kind of an absolute step forward in terms of animation quality and just 
what sit what films can do and what you can do with computers and kind of moving forward and the voice cast is incredible and the story of Toy Story 1 is amazing and it's one of those things that as a kid you always do think are my toys alive and just um, the first Toy Story just kind of embodied that concept was just so good yeah and I, I personally think that I think that trilogy on its own trilogy by the way um, <laughs> is one of the best trilogies ever made like it's in the conversation with Lord of the Rings with Back to the Future with the Planet of the Apes new one yeah. as being one of the best releases of all time what about 4 does, does 4 does just not happen 4 wasn't a bad film in any sense of the imagination it, in terms of animation it was absolutely phenomenal like the, there's a shot that I still refer to today as being one of the coolest animated shots of all time which is when Woody and Bo Peep are under the car and it's raining yeah. and it's like the rain looks legitimately real and I'd never seen animation done that was so like photorealistic as in that Pixar film and there are obviously there are nice moments in it like you do get a nice kind of send off for Woody but I just think that in terms of Toy Story 4 compared to the other three mm. it felt like an unnecessary add-on because mm. Toy Story 3 ends at a perfect point why did you have to go back and re-end it for their second time, you know. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, I think t- I think I agree with you. I I actually think Toy Story Two is better than Toy Story. I actually I prefer it, and and the the step up in animation, like you were saying, like from from one to two, is incredible. The realism mm-hmm. of two is is amazing. Yeah. Uh, but but I really like the extra characters that they kind of bring in, the Jesse and the Stinky the Pete, and yeah, and the, yeah. That's yeah. it. Yeah, I, I really like those extra characters they bring in. Well, I'm with you on Toy Story two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you you're picking Toy Story two, your best sequel ever. This is your yes. This is your pick. Okay. Why? Is there always the first? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a big question because I know it is always kind of a conversation of you know which is better, Toy Story one or two, and I'm sure that even in you know in Jump Cut, for example, we always have these conversations, and there are people that fall on the side of the first one, and the second one. But I think in terms of the way Toy Story two expands on the world that they live in, so kind of going out into the real world with Al's toy barn and stuff, and then also like you said the other characters and expanding on Woody's past and where he came from and you know his the TV show that he was on and how it never kind of got an ending and stuff and how that kind of plays into Woody's character of him feeling unfulfilled. Um, and then you've also got, like you said, the step of animation. I still watch that, the clip of uh, Woody being cleaned by uh, oh, Al's yeah. kind of hired goon or whatever. It's just amazing. It's like visually visual ASMR. You know, it's just so satisfying. So many kind of set pieces and moments in it. I love the airport scene. I think going through kind of the the carriage carousel, the suitcase, sorry, carousel, and then into that kind of web of travelators and stuff as they try and escape is just like as a kid, I've always wondered what is through those kind of the black curtains at the airport, and you see it in all its glory, and it's just incredible. And and then the Owl's Toy Barn stuff is just really well done. And Owl is a great villain, yeah, and itself. The Prospector is a great villain on his own as well. It's just there's so many brilliant moments in it that I just think it it's more of a complete story adventure for Woody, specifically Woody more than Buzz, to go on during Toy Story 2. So I, I think Toy Story 2 is just the more of a complete experience of a film compared to the first Toy Story, which is admittedly like also a 10 out of 10 on its own. Yeah. I think Toy Story 2 is just a 10.1 out of 10. I think Toy Story 2 is the, is the best one as well. I agree with you. Mm. I couldn't believe it. Watching it today, 1999 this came out. And it looks yeah. phenomenal. Like, it looks yeah, amazing. It Animation at that point was just... This blew everything away. It very nearly never happened. Yeah. Because it was deleted. Story Story okay. 2. Yeah, so uh, an editor working on the film 
entered the wrong code into a computer and deleted 90% of the film at the point they were finished. And the backups didn't work. So they made backups of the movie that didn't work. The whole the whole thing was basically deleted. And the only reason it happened is because somebody was on maternity leave and they'd taken a copy to work on at home. And that is the copy they used to it's insane, restore it? the film. That's awesome. They deleted the whole damn movie. <laughs> they also had to make it in nine months, this movie. Because it was originally going to be a always direct VHS, weren't it? It's a DVD, yeah. Uh, and then I don't even think Pixar was stuck in, starting to make it. I think it was another off-branch of the Disney sequels. Where they, I can't remember mm-hmm. the name of the studio. But then I think because Pixar hold Toy Story so highly, they looked at what they were making and they weren't happy with it. And they were like, we've got a better story. We can do something better. But they had to yeah. stick to the, the release date, which was the nine months. So to make this movie in nine months, pretty much from scratch... Yeah, phenomenal. Mm. It's just I love the characters. Uh, well, who's your favourite character? Let's just go for a character because I can talk about the characters. I mean, Woody is obviously a fan favourite for a reason. Like Tom Hanks on his own is just a glorious oh. voice actor for Woody. He's literally perfect. Like nobody else could play Woody. But then of the, I would say of the new ones and of the whole thing, I really love Jessie in terms of her story arc in the second one, and like also that her song oh. makes me cry today. You know, like her whole. Just the way she is in that film is so nice and the way she wants them all to come back together as a family again, but he doesn't want to because he's got his own family now and it's just really sad and emotional. So, yeah, I would say it's probably between Woody and Jesse. I think, oh, Jesse might edge it in terms of Toy Story 2. Yeah. I suppose across the trilogy, it's probably Woody, but in Toy Story 2 on its own, I would say it's probably Jesse just because of how kind of lovely her story is. And Joan Cusack is perfect as her voice. Oh, well, right? amazing. <laughs> that bit when she gets left in the box... It's absolutely mm. heartbreaking. It's yeah, it is. It's something that Pixar do so well, isn't it? Those those little moments that just like rip your heart out. Yeah, and this was at that point was like, oh my god, I'm crying. I'm I'm mm-hmm. gonna tell you, I saw this. Uh, I went to Harlow. I lived in a place called Bishop Stortford, and we didn't have a cinema at the time. Uh, me and my mate, and we, I, it was a full cinema, full of kids, pretty much. And me and my mate got the last two seats. There's kids behind us that didn't get in. That's not that's not my fault. <laughs> but the way that played, and I've, I don't think it's ever really happened since, but it got a round of applause from like mm. a Friday night audience, like a random Friday night audience. It was amazing. Yeah. And obviously the kids weren't crying as much as me and my mate Sid were at that point. That's the thing Toy Story does, is that it manages the pitch. I guess Pixar as a whole and do it as well, but Toy Story 2 and 3... They can pitch it as a story that works both for kids to just enjoy visually and just have a fun adventure with these characters. But then for the older generation who have grown up with the films who are now... Like when Toy Story 3 came out, I was like 18. Mm. You know, these characters have been with me since I was five. They managed to pitch it to these people who are growing up and realising they've got to move on from their childhood at some point. And it was just... They handle these things so deftly and so effectively that you know that these writers are people that know how people work. Like, it's true enough in, say, in films like Inside Out. Like, they know how teenagers work in Inside Out. Mm. They know kind of what will pull at your heartstrings. And they also just... It's not just making you cry just because they want to make you cry. Like, they can hit those kind of nostalgia sweet spots to think, oh, my God, I remember having my own toy as a kid. I remember not wanting to give it up and not wanting to give it to charity or whatever. Mm. Like, it, it is a very emotional personal experience for everyone watching that film because everyone had that one magical toy they loved as a kid. Like, I had a little Chelsea kind of teddy bear that I had slept with every single night, effectively. Yeah. And that was like, that was my kind of toy that I loved. That was your Woody. Oh, you, just... you still got yours? <laughs> yeah. I have Bumblebee. 
this is my bumblebee from when I was a kid, like 1985. Yeah. Like, and I still have wow. it now. You can swallow that, Rich. It's dangerous. I know, I know. It's really tiny. But yeah, that's that's my yeah. bumblebee transformer from when I was a yeah, kid. Well, exactly. Like, you've still got it today. Yeah. 20 years Sits on the after shelf the film right next out. to me. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I have two favourite characters in Toy Story 2. And Wheezy is one of my favourite characters. Oh, I love I Wheezy. absolutely love yeah. Wheezy. And I love the fact that the whole film's made on Linux machines and Wheezy is a tribute to the little Linux penguin. Oh, is on all the, Yeah, oh, and really? I love it. Yeah, I think it's brilliant. And I also love Jerry. Like, So Jerry's the, the toy restorer. So there's a Pixar oh, yeah. short called Jerry's Game where when he plays chess, he plays chess against himself. Yeah, and then they bring him yeah. back essentially as the toy restorer. And there's a little scene yeah. where he opens a drawer and it's got chess pieces in it when he's fixing mm-hmm. Woody. I love that. I think that's brilliant. And also yeah. because, a little bit because like I like to restore vintage toys and bring them back to life. And that's kind of a, a little hobby that I do. So every time I watch it, I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, that's, I'm, <laughs> I'm bringing this toy back to life just like in Toy Story 2. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My favourite character is Rex. I adore, I adore Rex. I, I I love every scene that is in everything that says it come out of his head. I, my I think my favorite my favorite scene is when the fake Buzz is got this suckers and going up the elevator, mm-hmm. and he's like, "I'm going to put the gravity on, whoever it is." And they're like, <laughs> "He's not." He's like, "He is." It just it makes me chuckle so much. I think that's where this well, Toy Story Two is probably maybe a bit better, but better than Toy Story. It's just laughs and emotion. Mm. This is the perfect balance. I mean, sometimes in Toy Story Three. Much as it does get me, it's a, they lay it on a bit thick. They do, yeah, they do. This one, they do it so gently and they mould the movie so nicely and it plays so well. Like, it's like 94 minutes long. So the length is just lovely, especially for yeah. me because I hate long films. <laughs> and it plays so nice and the jokes and the memories and like, has, like you like you were saying, the feelings it brings back to you is just one of the reasons why it's, it's so good. And it's and it's it stayed so good. It's lasted the time. Yeah, it had definitely. It's going to be timeless. They worked out. Toy Story 1, amazing as it looks, the, the human characters don't look brilliant, do they? Mm. But this one... The animation of the first one has definitely dated slightly. Yeah. But that's taken 26 years to get to that point. Yeah. You know, like it's it still looks brilliant considering you think, you know, back in that day we could, you had still had floppy disks still active, you know? And they have made an entire 3D animated film. Yeah. It's just mad. It just changed animation forever. It completely. Yeah. Honest. They set the standards, the new standard for what animation should be like. Yeah. And, you know, the films like today that recently I absolutely adored that new Mitchells and the Machines film on Netflix. Oh, it's which great. Brilliant, so by the way. My little boy's watched it. it three times already. Oh, <laughs> I've watched it twice. So <laughs> it's so good. But then, you know, films like that, they they wouldn't be a thing right now without Toy Story 1. Mm. Like, that literally paved the way for this whole new era of animation. It's just, you've got to appreciate Pixar as a company, but also that film specifically as, the, you know, the launch pad for so many different films. Yeah, this was the first sequel for Pixar, wasn't it? Yes. So a lot was probably resting on this to be successful as well. Well, they've done A Bug's Life, I think, haven't they? I love A Bug's I love Life. Bugs I Life. really, really like, love Bug's Life, yeah. What did you think of music for this, the Randy Newman Oh, it's class. It's just, you know, classic. Everyone knows you got a friend in me, but also it does that kind of the, I love the Woody's Roundup theme, for example. Yeah. You know, I, I, I still know that today. Woody's Roundup, come on, stop. Play. Like, it's just one of those things that is very memorable. And it does that kind of mixture of really epic music, like when Bullseye is apparently as fast as an aeroplane. 
kind of riding <laughs> along the uh, the runway and stuff. You've got that really like it's just all the music is brilliant. You know, it, was it was he nominated for an Oscar for his uh, score work in, for Toy Story Two? He must have been because it is beautiful. It's really really good stuff. But I just think the whole film works. Like you mentioned Rex earlier, like I absolutely adore the opening sequence with Buzz in his in the video game. Like I absolutely love that. And he's you know when he's using the alarms and he can't control the, the controller properly and stuff. It's just it's so good. <laughs> There's that bit as well when he's like controlling the, the TV remote and he's trying to go really, really fast. Or is that when when um Piggy was Ham. Um, Ham, Ham, thank you. When he kind of he can go really fast on the on the controller button to try and get the Al Toy one again. Yeah. He's like, I've got to go back around again. I'm sorry, I missed it. <laughs> like, it's so good. <laughs> it's just so good. I love the little bits I read today on the IMDb trivia, so it can't be wrong. Mm. That no, it's the, definitely right. The bit when he's uh, seeing all his uh, merchandise for the first time is they actually recorded Tom Hanks. They put Woody merchandise in front of him and that's just him reacting to like, oh my God, I'm on a yo-yo kind of thing. That's <laughs> That was not, wasn't even scripted. It was all... Mm. Amazing. The touches like that, it's just... It's, uh, it's so good. It's so good. I really enjoyed watching it again today. I was like, oh, this is lovely. And it looks, like I said earlier, it looks amazing. Like in 4K as well. Wow. Got it in 4K as well. Wow. What was that on Disney, Disney Plus? Plus? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, price line. This episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. When you want the best, you have to act fast, especially when hiring for your business. You want to find the most talented people before the competition scoops them up. And the best way to do that? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds top talent fast. In fact, four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com Spotify. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. 16 years from today, Greg Gerstner will finally land the perfect cannonball. Epic Splash. Unsuspecting friends. A work of art only possible because Greg is already meeting all these same people at AARP volunteer and community events that keep him active and involved and help make sure his happiness lives as long as he does. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash local. What film do you think is so perfect mm-hmm. that didn't need a sequel, yeah. but it got it? Oh, my word. How that sequel got to be worse? It's up to you. It just didn't need a sequel, I think is the answer. It didn't need a sequel. That's a great question. Grease 2 doesn't need to exist. <laughs> I watched Grease 2 as part of the uh, Jump Cut charity thing a couple of years ago because my friend told me to watch it. She paid like a tenner so I could watch it, so I had to watch it. And I actually very much enjoyed it. I thought the songs were very fun, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Grease 2. Grease 2 gets a pass from me. I enjoyed Grease 2, yeah. Could I say Jurassic Park? Yes. Oh, yeah. Is, yeah. Because the first Jurassic Park for me is one of the only perfect films in existence. Like, that is an absolute 10 out of 10 the way the pacing of that film is spot on. The first hour is a lovely kind of exploration of the island and just how that doesn't work. And the second hour is just balls to the wall, dinosaur chaos. And it's wonderful. And I mean, I'm not a big fan of The Lost World. I think that's a very kind of substandard sequel. Jurassic Park 3 is 
not terrible, but again, it's a byproduct of Jurassic Park 2. And despite giving us things like the Spinosaurus, it wasn't that much beyond that. And then Jurassic World 1 and 2 are both fine. I'm a fan of the first more than I am the second one, but none of them have ever been able to matter reach the heights of the first film. Yeah. So why are we continuing to try? Just apart from the fact they make billions of dollars. Yeah, well, that's it the, makes uh, a that's lot of money. <laughs> that's the reason, yeah, that's the only reason why. Because people love dinosaurs and love Chris Pratt. Like, it's, I get it. But yeah, I would potentially argue Jurassic Park as being... It's so perfect. You did not need to create a second one. I think with my magic producer's hat on, then I can smell the money attached to Jurassic Park. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, like, we've made a world with dinosaurs. Let's keep making dinosaur movies. You know, that, that that's the reason it gets made. I, you know, without the kind of creative content, you're right. Jurassic Park doesn't need a second movie. But no, I know exactly why they've got why it's got one <laughs> and a third yeah. and a reboot and a second reboot. <laughs> but it's annoying that like, uh, what's his face? Richard Attenborough even says at the end of the first one, like, "I'm not going to do this ever again." Yeah. Like he literally he closes it at the end of the first film, like this this is not going to happen again. And yet we come back for Lost World and Three and World and Fallen Kingdom. Like it's just ah oh, yeah, it's just, and even though I am bizarrely curious to see what Jurassic World Three is going to look like. Because I'm kind of hoping for like a Planet of the Apes style world where dinosaurs are like sentient. And, like, oh, oh, that I think is where the the, the their franchise needs to go. Is needs to go into dinosaurs have literally taken over the world again, and humans are seen as the the subspecies to be conquered. Don't know. That would be a leap, I think. <laughs> that would be a leap, definitely, because. Where the second film ends is just dinosaurs running into the wild. Is not dinosaurs are now talking to each other. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's it could happen. Never say yeah. never. Jurassic World Four. There we go. That'll be the Planet of the Apes <laughs> sequel. Let's talk about your worst sequel. Okay, yeah. you can say worst. You can say least favorite. You can say <laughs> detest. However you want to say it. It depends how nasty you want to go into it. Uh, so what is the worst? I would, This was the one that I was kind of racking my brain the most about when I was like, when we were kind of DMing what I was going to pick. I knew my best and my dream pick quite quickly, but it was the worst one that I was torn on because I felt like I could easily talk about how awful the Crimes of Grindelwald is for the Fantastic Beasts and Harry Potter universes just because of how nothing that film is. But that was a film I've seen it once and I've forgotten about it entirely because I just thought it was so offensively bad. I don't want to experience it ever again. So I thought I'd wipe that out. But I've chosen The Rise of Skywalker because I've seen it now three times. I saw it twice in the cinema because the first time I thought it can't be... That can't be it. It can't be that bad. So I saw it again, and admittedly, the second time it did go up slightly. Like, it went up from, like, a 2 out of 5 to maybe, like, a 2.5 out of 5. Because there are some nice bits in it. Like, the end game bit, the end is quite nice. And it's just, you know, it's quite well shot and stuff at points. But I think the further away I am from the film coming out, and the more I learn about how it was made and how badly it was just kind of put together from the very first of the sequel trilogy it manages to somehow retroactively make the other two films worse it does not add up to a cohesive trilogy at all and i think the third one is a kind of an amalgamation of all the issues 
that the trilogy had. Even even despite being a very big fan of both Force Awakens and Last Jedi, The Rise of Skywalker is just so badly put together that it feels like about four films in one. There are some pretty diabolical acting performances in there. I think, no offense, I, I love Daisy Ridley as a person, but I think she gives quite a bad performance as Rey. I think the film in general just doesn't come together. They added in Palpatine for no reason other than we need something to kind of bring it all together again. You know, it's not as if there was a mention of Palpatine in the first film. They just added him in very last second in The Rise of Skywalker. And I just thought, nah, this it's, it has ruined kind of my love for the sequel trilogy because my link to Star Wars is not that strong yeah. compared to other people. Like, I only watched kind of the originals when I was in university, so like 10 plus years ago. So I'd seen the, the prequels before I'd seen the originals. And I enjoy the, these originals, don't get me wrong. I think they're all very good. I think Empire, Sky, Empire Strikes Back is definitely the best one. But I'm not as massive a Star Wars nut as many people are. Like I know like you are, Thank Dave, you. for example. So the seeing the sequels, these were new Star Wars films that I had quite a big connection to. I thought these are new characters. That, you know, you've got Han, you've got Leia, you've got Luke again. So you've got those to kind of tie to the originals. But you do have, you've got Rey, you've got Finn... You've got Kylo Ren, who I think is one of the better Star Wars villains. And yet, even with Kylo, the Rise of Skywalker just ruins his entire character arc. By in the last 20 minutes, he says not a single word. His, his entire journey to becoming Ben Solo again is completely ruined when he doesn't get a chance to say anything to Rey when he sacrifices life for her. Like, what are we doing here, man? Like, it's just... It was so frustrating to watch it unfold because... You know the end, the the moments when you find out that Ray is a Palpatine, Ugh, for example. Yeah. That's the end of a film. That's not the end of Act Two. Like that is where a film should have ended, and then you had a while to kind of come to terms with the fallout of her being a Palpatine, and then the next film deals with the consequences about her trying to become good again or something like that. But that's not the end of a middle act. That is not no. the way that should have been done, and it just smacks of a film that was written a month before it was meant to be being shot, and it was. Sorry, I've ranted it for a long time about Star Wars. I'm going to be completely controversial <laughs> and say that I, I dislike The Last Jedi more than Rise of Skywalker. What? But, 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 <laughs> having said that, it's only the first hour or so of Rise of Skywalker that I like. <laughs> and also, when I watched it, I watched it in the cinema for the first time, and today was the only the second time that I've watched it. I was so angry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever been so angry in a movie at the cinema ever. Yeah. And my, my wife was genuinely worried because I was so cross. <laughs> I was just like fuming. Mainly the last line. Just the last line of the film well, just, just yeah. craps over the whole entire franchise. Basically, you've chosen the name, you've chosen Skywalker just to make the title of this film work. Yeah. <laughs> that is the only reason yeah. she could have said Palpatine and recognised the sacrifice that her parents made for her. She mm. could have said, and which would have been a perfectly acceptable ending, just Ray. Just Ray. Yeah. Just that's Ray. all she yeah. needed to say. Yeah. Saying Skywalker just makes this just makes the title of the film work, and that's it. Yeah. That's all that does. Hideous. Absolutely along, hideous. Along the same lines, it is completely appalling. <laughs> it's along the same lines, like 
we'll say what you will about Last Jedi, because I'm a big fan of it. I don't think it's, you know, perfect, but any by any stretch of imagination, but I think it is very good. And I think what it wants to do in that it kind of throws out the rule book of Star Wars being like anyone can be a Jedi, you haven't got to be linked yeah, to exactly, any lineage yeah. or whatever. That whole idea is wonderful. Just, you know, convincing, you know, the kid with the broom at the end of Last Jedi, like he has seen that, oh, he could be a new Jedi because he's seen someone else who's not from the Skywalker lineage. He, you know, he knows that he could become the next Jedi. And yet they throw that out the window in the third film, like in negates the whole point of The Last Jedi. The film that Ryan Johnson wrote was a film that was released into cinemas. And yet, so this idea that Disney kind of didn't like Last Jedi is nonsense. They didn't like the fan reactions to Last Jedi. So that's why they completely re-kind of wrote The Rise of Skywalker as a suit, Reddit forums, and kind of the really rabid mm. fan base. You know, and that's what killed Star Wars off as a sequel trilogy. That's what ruined the entire trilogy. And so just the fact that, like, to go back to it, the fact that Last Jedi set up this wonderful concept of that you haven't got to be anyone, and yet Rise of Skywalker just thought, actually, you've got to be someone important, actually. Oh, it ruins the entire point of the whole trilogy. Oh, I hate and it. And we haven't even mentioned what, what they do to <laughs> other characters, like Finn and Rose and Poe. Oh. <sighs> <sighs> The excitement around seeing Finn with a lightsaber in the first film was so cool. Yeah. Just, you know, like, Rey was the chosen one. Absolutely fine. I'm not not an issue with Rey being the main character at all. But Finn also could have had this journey of being like, I want to become, you know, a proper battle because I want to become a proper warrior because his journey as a former stormtrooper is incredibly interesting mm. for the kind of journey to, to follow. And yet they abandon it completely. Even Last Jedi kind of throws it away to a point. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking you there you had such a great character foundation in the first film to build upon, and yet they completely ignored it. And it is like I've said it many times already. You know, it it's a trilogy that never had a clear plan from day one. That what frustrates me the most about this movie. Yeah, it keeps me awake at night. To be honest, that <laughs> they didn't know the ending when they started. They just wanted. No. I think Force Awakens is a fantastic film. What a start! I love Force Awakens. I think The Last Jedi, like you said, is a perfect middle point. Anyone can be a Jedi, mm-hmm. and then we get this, and they bring it all back to the. I would have been happy if no fucking Empire or Palpatine mm-hmm. even existed at this point. What was he been doing yeah. on the edge of the universe all this time? And no, no. oh, it making Snokes. Nuts. That's what he's been doing. This <laughs> yeah. like small collection of Snokes in a glass jar. <sighs> when he says I made Snoke, I didn't realize he meant he actually made him. Like, physically built like with physically hands, yeah. together. <laughs> I I like bits of this film. I have to say, like I which bits? I like I like I like Poe and Finn's relationship. I like the first hour. It feels like a Star Wars movie for the first hour or so because that's what Star Wars is, right? It's a romp across space. You know, it's a collecting mm-hmm. movie. It's a it's a road movie in space, and mm-hmm. and it kind of is that to start with. You know they're looking for something. They're trying to find it. it they, you know, it's a, it's a kind of an ensemble of characters that you know trying to get to somewhere, and then it all starts to unravel. And, and you're right, and Kylo Ren is sinister and evil, and really, really great for an hour, and then after that mm. first hour, it suddenly becomes a completely different movie, and mm. that's when it that's when it loses me. Right. Which po- which point was that? Was that when they, he fights Ray on the, the wavy when he when he speaks to his ghost dad? Yeah, no, it's before the ghost dad. I mean, it's it's. Is it when Chewbacca? You think Chewbacca's dead, but he's not really. Or <laughs> that was bad. Or when they wasted bad. the Knights of Ren again? 
Oh. I mean, I don't get the Knights of Ren at all. Who are they? I thought they might explain well, who exactly. the Knights of Ren are in this film. That's what I was expecting. Like a that's you know a nice kind of succinct example of the problem with J.J. Abrams. I think I think he's the kind of guy who is incredibly talented, and he's clearly got amazing ideas. Like Lost, for example, he obviously started Lost. Oh, he started. Get me started on Lost. Created... I still haven't forgiven him for the end of Lost. <laughs> um, I mean, he started. I mean, you can't say that the start of Lost was incredible. Like oh, the first yeah. series, yeah, Lost is amazing, brilliant. You know, he created Fringe, one of my favorite TV shows of all time. And yet, with Fringe worked because he created it, and then he just gave it off to people to kind of do whatever they want to do with it. So that yeah. had a lovely ending because he had nothing to do with it. J.J. Abrams can't write endings, and it's becoming a genuine issue, and it's now ruined one of the biggest franchises in cinema history. Like, he was a really good person to give, um, say, Mr. Bottle 3 to, because that film is a very good film, and it sets up the kind of the franchise going on into, like, the next generation, I suppose, of more futuristic technology. Mm. And I think going it into kind of films by Brad Bird, by Chris McQuarrie, was a very clever way to do it. Like, give him the key to start it, like they did with Force Awakens, then give it to Ryan Johnson, and then give it to Colin Trevorrow, who, yes, you might have his, your kind of critiques of, but his kind of spec script for his episode nine was much more interesting than what The Rise of Skywalker was, The Duel of the Fates. Mm. So much more interesting. Yeah. And I think that's that's where they went wrong, is they went back to J.J. Abrams to think, you've got to write the ship now because fans aren't happy. And it was just... It was doomed to fail, I think, when they went back to him because of his history of bad endings. The way they put Kylo Ren's mask back together is like a metaphor for everything, isn't it? It's like, <laughs> yeah, they smash the yeah. shit of it and destroy it. It's like, no, that's done. And then JJ gets back on board, like, oh no, I liked the mask. Let's put the mask back together. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Let's I designed that mask myself. Super glue it Give back it together. Rent. Yeah. Yeah. Cover that face so it. And Driver's got such a good face as well. And then he does. He does. Want to like it, it takes away from his performance. Like he's got a very good voice. Don't get me wrong. Like he's in the first film, he has a very kind of cool presence when he's got the mask on. But then the surprise is when he takes it off when he talks to Ray when she's kind of held captive. Thinking, oh, he's not a Darth Vader. He is mm, his own yeah. person. He exists underneath the mask. And that's the actual thought, that's cool. beauty of it of him not having the mask is because he looks a bit like Harrison Ford. And you can genuinely yeah. believe that he is his son. Like they have the <laughs> yeah. chin. They have the same chin. Mm-hmm. Like it's mm-hmm. you know you can really kind of see that he is his son. And putting the mask back on him is almost like his character's gone backwards a little. Yeah, hundred exactly. percent. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And, and I'm glad they kind of lose it later on. But that that's the whole mm. metaphor, isn't it, of signifying that he's you know gone yeah. gone back to being Ben again. How did you feel about the final assault? So this. The bits on the tr- on the horse, Dexagol, the you know fins on the the horse with. I was happy to see Na- Wedge. Naomi. That's about it. <laughs> Wedge turned up. Lando turned up. You know you got Ray down there in her pit with, mm-hmm. you know, with the Force ghosts. How did you feel that all melded together? Was that at that point did you give up and like fuck this? I gave up on the whole Ray Palpatine element of it quite quickly. You know when they brought Bob Ben Solo back into it. And they had him, you know, kill like the Knights of Ren. And in, admittedly, quite a nice action scene. It was quite well choreographed. But even then, like you said, it was a waste of the Knights of Ren. Like, they were they were built up after the first trailer for The Force Awakens. And they did absolutely nothing across the entire three films. Yeah. Same as Captain Phasma. Like, absolutely nothing, nothing character. But so the, the Ray stuff in the pit with Palpatine and kind of her 
listening to the Force voices again, and I was like, this is just naff. This is clearly just fan service at this point. And yeah, it was nice hearing people like Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan again. Like, yeah, fine. But it didn't really add much to it. Like, it didn't add much to her journey for me. But then, like I said at the start, I think the actual, the end game moment when all the Rebels come back with Lando, that's quite nice. And it's quite, you know, well shot and it just looks cool to see all these kind of fan favourite ships from like the Clone Wars and stuff that appear kind of in the sky. Yeah, that looks nice. And I get that is what it was going forward, that the Rebellion was always there all along and they just had to kind of find it again and kind of find that spark of hope again and stuff. But I think by that point it was too little too late. One nicely done scene is enough to save a film that doomed a trilogy from being a great trilogy into a mediocre, if not bad one. Yeah, I have to ask, when they first... Are you a trailer person? Do you watch trailers? I love trailers, cool. yeah. I, um, the very first trailer when it shows... Palpatine. I think it's like... No, no, I was going to say like the first one way back in The Force Awakens. Oh, lost my like, shit, yeah. Yeah, when like you see, I think it's Ray on like that little speeder, and then it kind of goes on, and then it zooms out to see it's like a fallen what's called Star Destroyer. Yeah, yeah. You're like, holy shit, that's so good. Where's that excitement gone? Mm. You know. And then even like you said, even you know the Rise of Skywalker trailer when Palpatine, you hear his laugh, you're like, oh shit, that's actually quite effectively done. Mm. But then the reason of him coming back is just Poe says somehow he's back and that's it <laughs> that's the only explanation we get for it and you're just thinking oh this I, is yeah just... I, I still don't understand how he's back I sh- no it was it's never dealt with it is never ever explained do a little Voldemort story couldn't you of like mm. you know Snoke's yeah. been carrying him around on his back all the time or whatever like, so like <laughs> yeah. anything really unicorn blood can sustain him <laughs> but now he needs a body of his own yeah I guess the the Phantom Menace um, Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith was probably not your because you, you said you know star wars wasn't a massive thing for you necessarily i watched attack of the clones not too long ago and i'd forgotten how bad that film was like there's a very funny kind of youtube video about attack of the clones and how there's a sequence where someone wants to kill anakin so some like count dooku hires someone who hires someone who hires someone who hires a robot <laughs> who sends out a little bleach thing to kill anakin like that is a very funny bit and that that whole kind of attack the clones thing apart from the the coliseum fight at the end is quite fun i do quite enjoy that and i do like the dooku against obi-wan and anakin lights it up battle when you see yoda lose his shit as well that's quite oh, yeah i lost my shit but the love story Oh my gosh. Yeah. Sand <laughs> and all that shit. Like It gets everywhere. Yeah, you I never what? bought Hayden Christensen as being kind of a love interest to Natalie Portman. I just never did it. But would you say it's as disappointing as the Rise of Skywalker? Is is the disappointed That's a good question actually. I don't think Attack of the Clones was ever like a disappointment in the same way as Rise of Skywalker is. No, because Phantom Menace was shit as well. <laughs> I've got a, my a soft spot for Phantom Menace because it was my first ever Star Wars film. And you've got things. The pod race is terrific. Yeah. Duel of the Fates is terrific. Yeah. The whole kind of Qui-Gon sacrifice is brilliant. Oh, no, sacrifice is death is brilliant. Darth Maul, great villain. Obi-Wan, brilliant. Like, there's some really, really lovely bits in yeah, Phantom Menace. Jar Jar it's just Binks, as though. a whole... <laughs> yeah, Judge of Banks is shit. Yeah. The CGI is appallingly shit. And the whole stuff on what planet is it where they go to the underwater people? That's shite as well. Oh, given up. Um, whatever. Is it Naboo? No, it is Naboo, yes. Yeah. Is, is, is it Naboo? Yeah. Yeah, and they like. There's always a bigger fish or whatever it is. Yeah, that shit, yeah. I never liked the, the droids that kind of. They were the old stormtroopers mm. before they got the clones in and stuff. I, did, I never really bought into that whole idea. 
That's the thing, because stormtroopers are menacing, though, right? Stormtroopers are menacing in the same way that Cybermen are menacing in Doctor Who, and the droids mm. are about as menacing as a flip-flop. You know, like (laughs) at least the stormtroopers were like. I mean, at least they were incredibly well designed when they first came about in the New Hope. You know, like that helmet is a wonderfully designed helmet, and you know what when you see one, you know exactly where it's from. Whereas the droids are just a thin stick brown robot (laughs) droid thing. Like, there's no character to you at all apart from the one that says Roger Roger. Like, that's it. That's all (laughs) you are worth is those that one word. And they're rubbish. They're easy to die. Like at least. Oh, they, they're like made of paper. Yeah. yeah. But then I will say that I, I've not seen it for a long time, admittedly, but I do I, I do have fond memories of Revenge of the Sith as well. And yeah. why does General Grievous um, have a cough? He's a robot. <laughs> that is an odd one, yeah. Yeah. It's just like, is it because he's like a former human? Is he like, I, I have no idea what the lore of Grievous is. No. But no, I think Revenge of the Sith is fun. And it's obviously the, the battle on um, Mustafar. Is very cool. Is it Mustafa? Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, the the lava planet. Like that's obviously a brilliantly kind of. I think Revenge well of the Sith fight sort of is is a redemption. It's a it's a much better mm-hmm. movie than the other two. For me, yeah, Ra- it, it Rise of Skywalker is. is not as uh, both the Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones were, were hideous abominations for me. And mm-hmm. Rise Rise of Skywalker, the I fetish. get it. I totally get it. <laughs> And I totally get the the hate of it, and I was really angry coming out of it. But mm-hmm. I could watch it and enjoy it if I because I know I I know it's bad at the end. You know I know it is, so I can ignore it. But I can't mm-hmm. I can't ignore the stupid floating fruit scene in Tackle the Clones without wanting to throw something at the TV. <laughs> <laughs> is that the opera bit, or is that Revenge of the Sith? No, the opera bit's Revenge of the, Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. Revenge of the Sith. I think no, it's Revenge it's the, the bit opera. where. Anakin uses the force to float a bit of fruit to Padme. Yeah. And it just makes me want to vomit. <laughs> it's just so horrible. What, what makes Rise of Skywalker so bad for me personally is that they had two films to get to that point and they should have known where they were going. And I think it's what upset Reese as well. That And that was so hyped. This is fucking Star Wars. This is not like General Stroll down a Saturday afternoon. This is fucking Star Wars. This is a lot of people's... I'm going to be really geeky. That Lives are like... They yeah. really love Star Wars. They revolve around Star Wars advice. And the idea that they didn't know who Ray was for what how many ever years, and it was probably just someone's idea on set. Let's just try a few things. Let's say Palpatine. Let's say Vader. And they went mm. with that choice. Makes me angry. And it's always going to probably be my least favourite because of that reason. If they, if Ray had been a Palpatine all the way through, and it was always leading up to that point, it could have been lovely. Yeah. But you're right. They didn't make that decision, and they didn't follow it through all the way, all the way through. And her parents weren't nobody. That's the point, isn't it? Like you know, her pa- it, That's in in the Last Jedi. You know, it is a, your parents were nobody. Yeah, yeah. You know, after that's all this uh, hyping Kyle up about like her li- her lineage, and Kylo says, "I know who your parents were. They were nobody." Her dad was the son of the emperor. For How God's did that sake, happen? he's not nobody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How did that happen? That's the thing, isn't it? How did how did no one know the Emperor had a son? Illegitimate or not? That comes out. I know we don't know how many kids mm. Boris Johnson's got, but, you know, like, this is a galactic <laughs> empire. Does the timeline even know. work out from the, the age of Ray is <laughs> to when Palpatine got thrown down the tube? Uh, I haven't... I haven't worked it out, Dave. <laughs> I don't know. Someone, Someone would have worked has. it out. And it probably I think we all, all agree the end point should be, <laughs> yeah. what's your name? My name is Ray. Ba-da-ba. You know, 
Just Ray. Yeah, just Ray. Yeah, she yeah, makes her own it. future. Yeah. Just Ray. I've seen like various um, clips from people in the cinema at the time. And then she says Skywalk, and people just go, no! Like, <laughs> That's me! Like... That's exactly what I did! <laughs> I, think, I think I actually went, oh, fuck off! <laughs> I definitely shook my head. Yeah. I think it probably says a lot that it is the one Star Wars film I don't own on, D- on Blu-ray. Like, I've got the other eight. I've got the other ten. I've got um, Rogue One and Solo. I've not got Rise of Skywalker. Just because I did... Don't want to watch it again. Yeah, like <laughs> I watched it when it came on Disney Plus, and I thought, you know, I've I've been spending like three months since I saw it. Maybe it'll be, it'll be better. And if anything, it got worse when I watched it the third time on Disney Plus. So just oh man, that film is now erased from my memory. Oh. There's also that really dumb thing about the, the the dagger that points to the fall and Death Star. They say it's an ancient dagger that was made about 25 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Like the Death Star's not been there for a thousand years. Like it's not. It's like you know this legendary mythical dagger. It's just a knife someone found in their kitchen one day and thought, oh, I'll make this a clue to a map. Ah, oh, bollocks! It just it's happens to be bollocks. the knife that killed Ray's parents. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> At that point, it starts getting very confusing. Like, who, why, what are we looking mm. for in this little ship? No, let's, <laughs> no. Let's let's stop talking about it. Have you got any more? Do you feel good after your rant, race? I do feel better. There's also the one last thing as well Go is on. that the renowned, very famous left loose uh, plot thread where Finn or Poe says, Poe, I've got to tell you something. I've got to tell you something when they're falling into the, the sand pit. Oh, oh yeah. And then no one ever says what they're going to say. Finn says he has to tell Ray <laughs> something. And I think it's going to be yeah, that he loves one. her, basically. But that makes no sense. I think he's got Jedi powers. I thought it was something to do with him having some sort of force kind of awareness to him, yeah. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What does Colgate mean by live life to the brightest? Could it be a rich glass of red sipped inside a Parisian cafe on a snowy night when my gaze is met by a tall, mysterious... I mean, brushing is directed with Colgate Optic White Pro Series Toothpaste gives you a visibly whiter smile in just three days, so you can live life to the brightest and finish that glass without worrying about teeth stains. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. What film did you find most disappointing? So you've bigged it up, you're like, this is going to be great. See, it wasn't all questions that you knew were coming. That's a big question. I would probably say, apart from Rise of Skywalker, because I think it's probably up there, I would say Pacific Rim 2, <laughs> because I love Pacific Rim 1. Like, Del Toro, as a filmmaker, is a genius. And I think Pacific Rim, he 
makes the film that he wants to make. He makes a big robot smashing big monsters film. And it looks great. Like you've got the whole, the neon kind of fight scene in Hong Kong is just incredible to look at. Pacific Uprising, also starring John Boyega, coincidentally, is just, it's like they didn't understand what made the first one so good. They made it into a Transformers film. And they, they tried to kind of, for some reason, combat the fact that so much of Pacific Rim was set at night. Even though they made the nighttime neon stuff look really cool, they thought, let's make it all set in the daytime. Which takes away a bit of the mystery of the, the actual kind of, mm. uh, what they call the Jaegers. Um, for some reason, they made them all faster in daytime, which meant that none of the punches that they were throwing had any weight to them. So it just felt like a few toys scrapping about. And it just it didn't have the same... I don't want to say gravitas because it's Pacific Rim. It's big monsters flying big monsters, like big robots. Like it's not a gravitas thing, but at least Pacific Rim had a bit, something about it, you know, it had a bit of personality yeah. and a bit of style to it. Whereas Pacific Rim Uprising, mm. it doesn't have anything going for it. It's just a film that used the style of Pacific Rim, the first one, and just took a chance to make another big robots fighting big monsters film without any of the emotional weight to it. Or any of the depth to the kind of there was no good law. It was just crap. It was a it was another kind of yeah. cash grab opportunity. I enjoyed Pacific Rim. I saw it in the cinema, and I I've not seen the sequel, and I don't think I will now. <laughs> this the sequel is just, just nothing. It's just nothing for all the good stuff the first one has. It just it just doesn't take anything forward. It even ruins like Charlie Day's character. Like, it's, it's a mess. Just, oh, yeah, it's a waste of time. Yeah, it's a it's, waste um, of time. It doesn't even look as good. Like the yeah. robots, it really doesn't. The robots don't look as clean. Don't look as impressively. Yeah, it's, CGI it's one of those bizarre sequels. They instead of improving on go or better or adding to it, it subtracts. It makes it worse. Yeah, and it's nothing. It all the all the elements are there. Like it's still got a good cast. It's still like you said, aliens versus giant robots it should all be pretty cool but i think it's just a storyline it was just a waste of time it was a complete waste of time so what have you picked for your dream sequel the film you most want to have a sequel mm. that never got it yeah again i was this is one that i i did have a nice idea for it but i wanted to make sure there was the right choice because i think there's you can't just think i want to see kind of a follow-up to that film. i want to kind of see what happens next i think that you can't just go straight into it like in that way. Like kind of, I thought about. I'll say Inception. That's like it's quite nice. Is it a dream or is it real? Ha <laughs> ha. Like you do. I can't really do that. So I thought about what film has got a really cool kind of world. Maybe not yeah. gonna do a straight sequel, but you could do a film within the same kind of universe and have it build off. Okay, the same we'll allow kind it. Law and the rules and stuff. <laughs> so I I really like the idea. I really love the film Looper, which is like a Star Wars mm. link, also by Ryan Johnson. And I think Looper has a very cool world in that the whole premise of Looper is that time travel was outlawed when it was invented. And then so all these kind of criminals then used time travel to commit dirty deeds where they sent people back in time to kill them and stuff. And I think, yeah, that's a concept. Love it. I'm in. And it helps being a massive time travel fan anyway, that anything with time travel instantly is already at least three stars. doesn't matter the quality of the film itself. If it's got time travel, I'm going to at least like it. So my Looper dream sequel would be, it would be definitely a continuation, but I think I would probably have it as a bit of a, a kind of a prequel, I guess. <laughs> well, it's time travel, so we'll, we'll see where this goes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think because the way that Looper has kind of, it has time travel, but it also has a very small part of the population. They do have this telekinetic ability. 
bit like an X-Men type right. version to the world. You can definitely explore that further because you obviously had the kid, the Rainmaker child that Bruce Willis mm. tries to kill at the end of Looper. Spoiler alert. His powers were obviously super powered compared to everyone else in the world. And you wanted, you could explore further kind of which people are chosen to have these telekinetic powers. You know, where do they come from? Why have they got TK? Why have they, why is time travel? Who invented time travel? Like there's just the world is so well built and well established that he does ironically run Johnson create a nicely closed loop of a film. But the world is there to be explored, and I think I want to see more of thing more of things in that world. So okay, I'd pick so Looper let's, let's to get a dream sequel. Who would you have directed? Would you have Ryan Johnson back as it is his world? Yeah, I think it's he's the one he conceived it, he wrote it. And he's also very aware that the time travel in Looper is a little bit shaky, which I'm fine with. Like there's even a point where Bruce Willis literally says, Don't worry about time travel. Let's not go into the details of it. <laughs> because that's where people kind of get people fall over. It was, I've not got an issue with time travel. I, I absolutely love doing it. You love doing it? What? I love doing it. I love talking about it. Hang on, that's <laughs> a revelation. Kind of, <laughs> <laughs> I love kind of exploring it and trying to understand it. Like, you know, like Dave, like last year, me and Sam adored Tenet and trying to figure oh, out how Tenet worked and how the time travel worked. It's just, I love doing that stuff. So it doesn't bother me how the time travel works. So yeah, I would definitely get Ryan Johnson back, but I would probably have new characters because I think the Joe storyline is done because obviously at the end it's he done. killed himself <laughs> to, to save their their child from becoming the Rainmaker, I guess. So I think you could, but there's so many kind of ways you could take that story because they're all kind of criminals working in the underground of of the the world they're in that you could take you could follow all sorts of stories. You, know, you could have someone who is making sure that all the loops aren't ever closed and you can go forward and kind of say, oh, we've got loads of people running around who are, they shouldn't be alive anymore. You know, and they're trapped in 30 years in the past and you think, oh shit, we've got to track these people down and who is doing it and that stuff. You could go that angle. It's just, there's a lot of stuff to it, man. There's a lot of cool things you, you could take from Looper and go forward with them. I'm really glad you chose this because mm-hmm. I thought I'd seen Looper and turns out I was getting confused with a movie called Jumper. It's not a great film, by the way. So my wife was saying to me, Oh, what's Looper? And I was like, Oh, it's got like Hayden Christian and Jamie Bell in it. And I was like, It's about like, you know, teleporting and stuff. And I was like, Mm -hmm. And and I sat down to watch it and I was like, Joseph Gordon Levitt. (laughs) Bruce With like, like, yeah, with his face changed somehow to look like Bruce Willis. But I really liked it. I really liked this movie. And, And I was thinking about how how does a sequel happen? How does a Looper sequel happen? Because, like you say, he does close his own loop, essentially, doesn't he? You know, there's, there's no... You can't really have... A, the, the Joe story is done. But I guess the next yeah. the next thing is, how does the Rainmaker become the Rainmaker? Or it, does he become the Rainmaker now this thing has happened? Yeah. You know, that's that's kind of where it... Where, and, and Emily Blunt is really good in this, too. Mm. Like, it's great. It's yeah. a really... It's, it's a much better movie than I was expecting when it... Like, five minutes in, I was like... Oh, this is going to be dull. <laughs> it's, it's one of those films that, like, when you they the first kind of half an hour is a lovely setup for the rest of the story. In that you've got the Paul Dano character and mm. he has to close his loop, but he freaks out, so his character is running kind of loose. Yeah. But then you've got that horrible bit when his older version is like oh, slowly so decaying. Good. That's so hard. That's... that's so well yeah. done. And you're thinking, and that sets up kind of the stakes of why Joe has got to kill his future self. Like you know what's going to happen, and it's just so it's just it's really well kind of set out, and it's less about the time travel. It becomes by the end of it, it becomes mm. like a family drama, like where 
he's like a kind of a, a deadbeat dad and the, the mum, the estranged mum trying to get back when kind of good books with his son and like but then you've got that magical undercurrent to it and you've got people trying to kill this kid and it's just oh it's so good man it's and really let's good just say, this is the last time bruce willis turned up in a movie right oh yeah he's never tried anything since this he's just <laughs> he's there for the paycheck at this point i, I think yeah. this one he actually read the script and thought oh no this is a good idea this is a good script this is quite good yeah yeah, yeah. there's also this even the point when when he's like when it shows him living off in china with his kind of love of his yeah. life it's a very well paced out love story that section like you do understand, you know, you get how well these two get on to, uh, with each other. You understand it, love for each other. So when she gets killed by accident, kind of accident on purpose, <laughs> you do feel that kind of pain that he's felt. Like, you understand why he now has got to go back and figure out, kind of get revenge, effectively. Like, it, it's, it works. It's a really, really, really well-written It works film. in the same way that Up works. You know, it, it tells the love story mm. in the same way that Up tells the love story. You, oh, okay. know? you don't yeah. get it in kind of, you know, it, it's not outwards. You know, it's it's, it's kind of, you, you, you work it out for yourself. You put your own emotions on yeah. it, which is why it hits you harder. I want to know where Jeff, I want to know Jeff Daniels' story as well. Like, yeah, that's really the other thing. I was like, "Where's it going to?" We find out who Jeff Daniels is, and we find <laughs> out where you know what, who what Sid becomes, and you know, mm. is he does he become the Rainmaker and all that kind of stuff, mm. or does he become a superhero? Yeah, like, the selling point for Looper yeah. is a young Bruce Willis is hunting an older older self, right, or the other way around. Yeah, would you maybe have another character that happened to? So maybe a Jeff Daniels character. I don't know. What I'm, I'm just throwing names out here, mm-hmm. or maybe a young Sid. With an older Sid mm. or a young uh, Emily Blunt hunting an so older. Does that Emily run Blunt? the risk of becoming a bit Terminator? Yeah, a bit franchise, same. Though. Like that's what when you were describing the film a minute ago, I was like, "This sounds very Terminator two-ish." At the end, mm-hmm. fair. I mean, I don't think I would. I would have the same idea of kind of an older version, a younger that, version. That's, you that's could the obviously, point, isn't it, or the first one? You could. There's definitely a thing, but then you could potentially have you know a character coming back kind of from the future and doing something that way. But my idea for a kind of a sequel of a looper two would be actually going back to when time travel first came about like why was it outlawed what mm. went so badly wrong that they had to make it illegal so it became this kind of underground crime kind of syndicate that they just used tra- time travel to sort out their oh, I've got it. jobs and i think maybe wh- whatever went wrong made time travel illegal has already happened in the future so <laughs> there's a loop there. So they've gone back. Yeah, they so they've gone back to be like, you've got to stop it now because it's going to cause the end of the world. Something like that. Like Tenet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Could be like that. But I, I thought it could just be kind of showing all these people realising, oh, I can use time travel to rob this oh, bank. Yeah, that'd be I fun. can use time travel to go and like kind of have kind of people discovering how to use time travel and then it becoming them being on the run through time from people trying kind of to stop it from happening ever again because it's causing you know you could you could argue that it's causing kind of timeline issues in that you are seeing people seeing their former selves in different timelines and thinking it's fucking people up like it's making everyone's mental health go through the roof because of just they're seeing their 40 year old self coming back from the future all the mm. time and it's like oh shit like there's a lot of um variables and a lot of consequences to having this time travel ability and the fact that it was outlawed tells you that something went terribly wrong to make it have to be outlawed. So yeah, I think there's there's a story in how it came about and what went wrong back in the year 2000 and whatever it was. Do you have a name like Looper 2, colon, looped, or... <laughs> two loop, two loop, I don't know. <laughs> I don't have a name for it, and I think other than Looper 2 is bland. Loopy? Loopy. <laughs> Loopier. Um, looped. 
looped. It could be quite yeah, good. Yeah, I think we're going to have to um, work on the name, Riz. Yeah, we do have to work on that. I didn't think, I didn't think I'd be asked about a name for a film. I thought I'd just have to come up with a... I don't know what questions come in my head. But no, I do think a looper... A Looper sequel definitely has some sort of legs. Yeah. I think it's a great world that he's built. And it's one of those things that he only really included the telekinesis element to explain away the Rainmaker and how this kid has these superpowers. But then, you know, where did this gene come from? Because they do say that I think it's like 10% of the population Mm. have this TK ability. She's got it. Like Emily Blunt's got it as well. So, you know, there's just there's so much depth to it that Ryan Johnson very cleverly wrote it in a way that told this one story. But he left a lot of cool ideas floating around for people to go and explore and discuss like we're doing right mm. now. And I think that is where the legs of the sequel come into it. Agreed. It's such a good film as well, Looper. Has it? It's a great film. It's one of those films that is so good, it kind of, you don't want a sequel. Mm. But... Yeah, I mean, that that's the thing with Looper as well, is that it's it's not based on a novel. It's not based on anything else. It's based. It, it, it's a, a solely... A film written to be a film, isn't it? And that's quite rare yeah, exactly. these days. You know, mm. it's not part of a especially a sci-fi. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's not yeah. part of a part of a trilogy. It's not a novel. It's not. Mm. It's not got anything. It's based on. It's not based on a TV show or anything like that. It's it's a standalone movie, and that's so rare that yeah. it feels like a sequel could only spoil it almost. <laughs> but saying that, now you you've described what you described, like the world it's made. I hadn't really thought mm. about it. I quite like to delve deeper mm. into that. I know it's a bad mm. example, but Moon and what's his other one? Mute were in the same, and one's better than oh. the other, but they're in the same realm, aren't they? They're in the same universe. Mm. So Yeah. You could maybe do it in a kind of Cloverfield trilogy kind of way where the next... Whereas the sequels don't really, yeah, maybe, yeah, run yeah. into the original. You know, mm. they're just in the same world. It takes it takes the rules of the world and just kind of creates a new story from yeah. it. Yeah, because obviously, because the idea of it kind of being a time travel story, you haven't got to make it that whole looping concept. You know, having to kill your old self. Just having time travel just adds in a new kind of. You can do whatever you want to do with that idea, but obviously, when you've got to close your loop, that is the the tension of the first film that you know that at some point you've got to kill yourself Crazy, which is just on its own an insane concept put some casting out there what what are you imagining who would you like to see in this world ryan gosling for example or do we feel like he's already done blade runner if I, if I was kind of fan casting just because i want to see him in more things i think michael shannon is like an aging looper agent would be very cool michael shannon is just classic michael shannon's a great shout i can see that He's just, I think him as being someone who is kind of disgruntled with having to keep doing it all the time. And he's just like, I want to close my loop at this point, but then something goes wrong that he can't do it. That could be a quite fun story. And then they, they could, you know, I think I think there's definitely, Michael Shannon in anything is good for me. So I think, yeah, I'd give Michael Shannon something kind of an action lead to do, I think. That's it. Looper 2 is written. <laughs> <laughs> Done. I don't know anyone else I could have in it. I don't think so. Michael Shannon is like, I would, if anyone asked me to cast anyone anything, I'm thinking, Mike Shannon, probably good. <laughs> like, he's just so reliable. And I'm also, I'm big on Stephen Young at the minute after Invincible. So, Stephen Young also, I'd be fine Any idea? Sorkin to write it? I know you're a big Alan Sorkin. <laughs> well, Sorkin to write time travel would be fascinating. But I don't think his style really kind of, you know, works with a sci-fi. No, that would be interesting. You know, he's very grounded in reality. and yeah, mm. But it would be an interesting experiment for him to do. I th- I think keep it stick it to Ryan Johnson still. I think he's got he knows that world. He wrote the original story, 
And I think you always run the risk of someone kind of ruining what came before it. I would you want to have someone who's got a bit of creative flair as well, like Ryan Johnson has. So maybe someone like maybe like a Damien Chazelle mm. to direct or something, give it a bit of like a, a twist, like a musical twist to it. Not literally a musical. I mean, like <laughs> with his camera, with his camera movements and stuff. I was going like, to say he's a very lost, lost of, me there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In terms of like, because he uses his camera more creatively than most directors, I think. Damien Chazelle, like the way that he kind of puts it on objects all the time and has it move around is very fluid and flashy and fun. Yeah, yeah. You could definitely have him doing it. And I also am a big fan of James Wan. I think he also does very fun, creative things with the camera. And obviously he did, you know, things like Fast 7 and The Conjuring. He knows his way around a franchise, how to... Like Fast 7 is a quality entrance in the Fast and Furious kind of series. Good. And he also he did his kind of fun kind of techniques so he had that wonderful shot of the rock rock bottoming Jason Statham through a glass table and the camera like flips as they go into the table like it's just anything anyone who's got that kind of flair for camera work and what a shot should look like is a big kind of yes from me okay well I'm excited to watch this race I mean I'll get my yeah on it. well Richie's got the money he's he's, he's gonna he's magic <laughs> I I'm not quite sure where we've landed with Rich being the magic producer on this idea yet but he doesn't really know about it but it's gonna happen And that was Reese Bowen Jones's Unequal Sequels. I enjoyed that. That was a, a good fun. I, I always enjoy talking to Reese about movies. I think he's um I think his passion really shines through, and I always always enjoy reading his reviews on uh, on Jump Cut. So if if you guys haven't checked out Jump Cut online, check it out. They've got loads of writers, but Reese is particularly one of my favourite writers. I wouldn't say that to his face though. Yeah, don't tell him that. Don't get don't no. get a big head. <laughs> did you enjoy his picks, Rich? I did. I really enjoyed having that. I really enjoyed getting to watch Looper because I. I'd not you thought it was before. Jumper, didn't you? I did. I got confused between Looper and Jumper. Yeah, these things happen. Yeah, that, that, that could work. <laughs> and it was always good to have a little bit of a rant about Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, yeah. I think Rise of Skywalker is going to going to come up. I think it, it's going to get a few mentions, isn't it? Because the ending's so fucking dumb yeah. and annoying. Oh god, the the ending just ruins the whole thing. Really, it would have been a half decent movie, almost, almost, if the ending wasn't so stupid. It's always nice talking about Toy Story. I love talking about Pixar films, especially early Pixar yeah. films. I have such good memories watching the early ones. So it's really, and I love going back and watching them. So that that was fun to do. Just really enjoyed that episode. We've been on some uh, other podcasts with Reese before, haven't we? Me and you, and we've always always had a good time. So it's really just really nice talking to someone who's so, like I said, yeah. so passionate about movies and knowledgeable as well if you want to hear a bit more of reese he's done an episode of the baywatched podcast with us too which is really <sighs> funny because he'd never seen baywatched before he's never he'd never seen a single episode of baywatched before so he was yeah. totally thrown by what we made him sit through <laughs> that possibly could be my favorite episode we've ever done of the baywatched podcast <laughs> yeah he was very confused so do yeah. go back and have a little listen to the to the baywatch podcast especially reese's episode because it's crazy <laughs> yeah check that out um if you want to check out this podcast we are also on uh, the internet we're there somewhere well you know that because you're listening <laughs> good point fair point uh we're on instagram at unequal sequel we're on twitter at unequal sequel you can email us at unequal sequel at hotmail.com we are available on apple podcasts spotify podcasts google podcasts and many other ones that i don't even know absolutely I'm still surprised the ones we're popping up on and it would really 
help us out to give us a little like and a little subscribe as well. Yeah, tell your friends, yeah. tell your family. Click that little heart on the Google podcast because that just fills mm-hmm. us with joy when we get one of them. So Yeah, show us a little bit of love. We really enjoy doing it. Go check out our other episodes, but our other episodes of uh, Hello No Hara and Sean Walsh are still up at this point, and they will be forever, to be honest. But they're both really good and both worth a listen. And don't forget, every Friday we'll bring you an extra... Extra <laughs> episode. Not quite sure what they're going to be every episode, but there'll be something. Yeah. They're nice and short. They're about under half an hour. Yeah. Basically uh, gives idea. us a chance to review a sequel that's out that week or just to kind of talk about some some sequel-based stuff. So yeah, so yeah that, they're, they're always good fun too. Have we got anything else to say, Rich, apart from go listen to the Baywatch podcast? But we've kind of covered that. We covered that. Go and go and over to Jump Cut and have a read of some of, of some of Reese's articles. Mm-hmm. If you if you are into movies, then Jump Cut Online is a really good place to go. Get some really good movie reviews and stuff on there. And some some really good yeah, their articles are very about. good. They're very they're a very passionate uh, crew. Yeah, of uh, and they've not paid us to say this. We're actually just saying no. it because you know. We like them. Yeah, I do. Yeah, they're, they're a good crew. I enjoy uh, being a very, very, very minimal part of that that team. Yeah, it's nice when they invite us to go on podcasts and stuff. To, to like... Yeah, it's nice, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I've it's always nice to be wanted. Yeah. That's about it from me. Rich. Oh, it's definitely, that's definitely it from me. Until next week when we're interviewing someone else that uh, I reveal at some point Ooh, on the internet. I'm excited. Yep, and uh, we'll see you next time. So that's a bye from me. And bye for me. Bye.